Hello and welcome to another beautiful Friday in 2020. I'm Dan Van Zalen and here's your host, Andrew Gummison. Hello, Dan, and it may seem like a while since we've talked about this issue, but a few weeks ago, we started a series on questions Jesus asked. Because one of the things that I found interesting as I studied the questions of Jesus is the fact that he was good at not asking the yes or no questions because he wanted to ask uh, things that would cause conversation, that would cause people to really be introspective, that would cause people to really interact with him. Because the thing is, he knows what our answer is going to be, but he wants us to know what our answer is going to be. I I really felt this when I turned 28 because, or not exactly 28, but when I got to my late 30s, when I got to my late 20s to early 30s, because when I was 14, I fully surrendered to God to, for ministry purposes. And I said to God, you know, I've made excuses about my disability and excuses about my wheelchair, and I don't want to do that anymore. I'll do what you want me to do. And then when I got to my late 20s, early 30s, it was like God kind of prodding me and saying, okay, do you really believe all this stuff that you've been telling people for the last 14 years? And I came through some really difficult experiences and came to that end of it. And I was like, you know, I do believe it. And I just really realized that God knew my heart. He knew that I was earnestly seeking him, but he wanted me to know it. And so that's why I think it's important for us to study the questions that Jesus asked for to his disciples and to others around him because they are, it's important to answer these questions. So today's question is, who is greater, the one seated at the table or the one who serves? And Dan is going to do our quote of the day. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at meat? But I'm among you as he that serveth. Luke 22, verse 37. <laughs> and in this uh, passage, Jesus is laying out the fact that the world says the person who is being served is greater. That's why they have servants. Jesus flips it on his head and says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must be a servant of all. So today we're going to talk about service and what the Bible says about service in the Bible, in different areas of the Bible. So, Dan, um, the first one is our gifts are intended for service. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. First Peter 4, verse 10. So if your mom or your grandma um, gave you a special gift, or anybody in your family for that matter, but I specifically think of my mom or my grandma because they always put a lot of thought into my gifts and they wanted to make sure that I had something that I would use. Um, and if you, if you get a gift from one of them and you're excited about the gift, but you never open it to see what it is or you never use it, that's not beneficial to you or the person that gave the gift. You need to use your gift so that you get the benefit of it and they get the benefit of knowing that they helped you by giving you a good gift. And God is is no different. He wants us to use our gifts to serve the body of Christ. And I think sometimes we get really hung up on, well, what is my spiritual gift? What am I supposed to be doing within the body of Christ? And, and 
one of the ways you can find out is by serving, looking for areas to serve. And as you serve in a variety of different areas, God will make it clearer what your what your presiding gifts are. Like I know for active gifts of the Holy Spirit, I I've done some studies, and there there's like seven or eight major gifts. Things like exhortation, like um, giving, like servant um, servant heart, and things of that nature. And I think we should all utilize all of them, but we tend to have primary gifts, I think, that we utilize. And also it kind of shows in the way we view the world. So it's important for us to get to know our gifts and then use them wisely for the kingdom of God. And the next one is we should serve those in need. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity, necessity, necessity of saints. Given to hospitality. Romans twelve nine through 13. And I will apologize to Dan right there for tripping him up with the King James English. However, um, I do, not only do I prefer to preach and teach from this version, it's also in the public domain, which is why I use it on my podcast so frequently. But uh, I think it's important here to see that, again, God is is telling us to cling to that which is good, use kind affection for one another, show love, preferring one another. This is a hard one because we we, we live in a culture that says look out for number one. Individuality is the best. Climbing the ladder is the most important thing, even if you step on people's fingers on your way up the rungs. Um, Please don't do that. That hurts. It, it, I'm sure it does. And it's... It's the way to worldly success, but it's not the way that God wants us to embrace success. And then, again, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. So our goal as believers should be to be hospitable and make those around us feel better. I know one of the things that I determined to do as a teenager when I went, whenever I went into a new job was to say my goal in getting this job is to make your company better for having hired me to do the job. And that goal has served me well throughout my career. And God has blessed that in my life. So, um, so we need to, again, to look for ways to serve those who have specific needs. Uh, so Dan, do you have any thoughts on these first two? Well, other than tripping over necessity, which is kind of silly, um, uh, I feel that I should probably expand a bit on the distributing to the necessity of saints. It's um, because that's kind of confusing for a lot of you know younger people nowadays. I think, uh, but it's you know, it's like you know, just giving your tithe, tithing your time, your money, being there for somebody. You know, just helping. Yeah, it's definitely more encompassing than just financial. I yep. think I think the key is to get to know people 
You know, we talk a lot about relationship building on this podcast. The key is to get to know people so you know what they need. Because we can get narrow-minded and think, well, everybody needs the same thing. But yep. but it's not true. Um, everybody has different needs. And as we get to know people, we can get to know the specific needs that they have and be better at meeting them. Yep. And it's also worth mentioning, I think, that uh, the Bible considers all believers to be saints. So whenever you see that in the Bible, it's talking about everybody, not these hoity-toity idle kind of things that sometimes pop up. Oh, absolutely. You know, I I, I um I remember seeing a, a post on Facebook where it where it talked about um who who was your favorite um saint or something like who do you who do you ask to pray for you of the saints? It was some Catholic friend of mine had posted it or something like that. And I said, Well the Bible I commented on the post and I said, well, the Bible already says I'm a saint. <laughs> you're a saint. And uh, so everybody and, who follows Christ. is And a if saint. you're a true believer, you are a saint. And so I don't know where we, where we got this, this twisted idea that saints were on a different level than we are. Uh, but, 800 AD with the uh, dark ages. <laughs> oh, he, he has the exact date. But anyway, <laughs> the, I, I was talking more about the collective idea, just the idea that, you know, because like even the Apostle Paul, he talked more about his weakness than his strength. He wasn't like, hey, I'm this great uh, Christian guy. He said, even said in his last letter at the end of his life, he said, this is a true saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am present tense chief. Yeah, He didn't say I was. He said I am because the closer he got to God, the more he realized, hey, I'm not that great of a person. And yet God is merciful to me. And that's the message that uh, we really need to get at, as a human race and especially within the church who are blood-bought saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, And you got to remember, too, um, Peter and James, who is the actual brother to Jesus, all were like that. Like James— who, when he was younger, you know, trash talked Jesus as you're never going to be anything and all that, and later became a follower. He never refers to himself as, you know, the brother's brother. Of brother. He yeah. refers to himself as a bondservant yeah. of the Lord Jesus. Yes. And even Peter does. Peter got put in charge of the church basically by Christ, and he refers to himself as nothing more than just this lowly servant who's trash. <laughs> yeah, so it's very interesting that the church often puts these men on a greater pedestal than than they even themselves would have. I think it's it's a personal thought of mine that everyone who, like the Catholic Church in particular, but also like the Greek Orthodox, you know, the churches who do this, oh, you're a saint now because of yada, yada, yada. It's my personal feeling that every single person that they saint have put up for sainthood would be insulted by it. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because this past year I read a book about Martin Luther. It's just called Martin Luther by Eric Metaxas. And they were already using the term Lutheran for denominational, denominationally when Luther was still alive and preaching. And he hated the fact that people referred to him as, them as Lutherans. Yeah. There's a passage of scripture where Paul addresses that very type of thing. Because he says some people say I'm of Paul, I'm of I'm of Apollos. He's like it doesn't matter if you're of Paul or Apollos. What matters is if you're of Christ. Yeah, you know. So 
Even John Kelvin got annoyed at that kind of thing, and he was kind of weird. Well, well, <laughs> that's uh, one of my one of my friends who's a preacher. He said that once to me. He said, uh, "You know, there's a lot of people that are way more Calvinist today than John Calvin ever was." Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's interesting how we latch on to particular beliefs, and we t- we're people of extremes. Yes. Either we toss it totally out and say it doesn't matter at all, or we throwing tend, the bat maybe out with the bathwater, or we tend to go the other way and say everything that this person ever preached or believed is right. And so we, if we follow it to a T, our life will be successful. But the important thing is to put our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Well, that's why God said, uh, "Beware ye who teach. You teach falsely, you will be damned." Yeah, and and you know, I, I think God will have. Forgiveness for the true believers that speak more of themselves at times than other things, but he still will hold us to account. I, oh, yeah. I still think about it every time I get into a pulpit or every time I get behind this microphone, that the things that I say, he cares about them because what he has to say is far more important than what Andrew Gomison has to say. And if this podcast was just about what he had, what I had to say, it wouldn't have lasted as long as it has. I can guarantee you. That 100%. Well, that's why I can't do your job as a, a teacher. <laughs> All right. Um, well, uh, we should do good to everyone, but especially believers. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6, verse 10. I... I can really tend to get on a soapbox about this particular one because I feel like sometimes our churches are so focused on outreach, which is not a bad thing at all, that they forget about the inreach where they're supposed to be reaching um, in to their members and helping their, their fellow members of the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, what did Jesus say what would draw people to Christ? He said, your love for one another will yep. draw people to you. That's how they'll know that you love the Lord Jesus is that you love one another. And so our outreach is important, but our outreach is strengthened by our inreach. If we're, fact, re- if we're reaching in, our effectiveness of our outreach will be that much better. In fact, I'd say that our inreach is our outreach. In a lot of ways, that's true. Because how you treat people around you determines whether or not you will be believed by the other people around you. And and those that you that you treat well once they are in the family, that will attract more people. Like especially if they have unsaved relatives uh-huh. that see how they've been treated in their church and say, Hey, they these people really care about them, maybe I'll come around and see what they're about. I think that's such a powerful yep. tool. It says, you know, the people have repeated this over and over again, and it comes up in the Bible over and over again, you know. Basically, it gets summed up nowadays as practice what you preach, but the Bible says actions speak louder than words, and nor is this more evident than how whether or not people believe you by how you treat others. If you say you are a Christian, but you treat other people like dirt, no one's going to believe you. Absolutely. Nor will they want to follow your God. Here's a tough one, Dan. I know I've had a hard time with this one. Serve and love your enemies. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Luke 6, verse 35. 
that's a hard thing to read because sometimes I can think, well, I've been a Christian for a long time. God loves me because because I trust him and and because I'm such a great guy. And then when he reminds me and hits me in the square between the eyes with verses like this, and it's like he he's kind to the unthankful and the evil. And actually, when I think about it, apart from the grace of God, apart from his mercy, that would be me, the unthankful and the evil, because there's nothing in me, as Paul said, nothing in my flesh that is anything good. So anything good comes out of me from the Holy Spirit. So that that's a tough one, but it's one that we must remember that we need to love our enemies. Because he said to the Pharisees, what reward do you have if you only love those who who love you? You know, we I talked about in the previous point how we need to love the household of faith and we need to to focus on that. But once we have loved the household of faith, the next step, the logical outgrowth, like like you said about your inreach becoming your outreach, the logical outgrowth of having that good inreach is saying, now I need to reach out beyond what I'm comfortable with sometimes and love my enemies. And the hardest part for me is to make sure that I'm loving my enemies and not enabling them. Because, yeah. like, for instance, it's hard for me to fathom just reaching out of a window and giving somebody that's standing on the side of the highway with a sign a big bill. Even I usually though, don't carry bills, so that's not as much of a problem. Even though there's <laughs> a certain amount of me that says, well, whatever they do with it is their responsibility. And there have been def- definite times when God has convicted me to do it. And when he does, go ahead and do it. But for the most part, I don't want to be the guy that enables someone to continue in their their bad behavior. And especially in a place where we live in West Michigan where there's a lot of rescue missions. Uh-huh. Um when you and you know that they can get the help they need if they really want it, it can be very difficult to watch them day after day choose not to take the help that they know they need. Yep. Perhaps ironically, I find it easier to love my, you know, declared enemies, if you will, than to love the people who happen to be uh unfortunately able to push my buttons the wrong way without trying, you know, you ever come across that where there's this person you interact with and they have this uncanny habit of somehow pushing your buttons just right that you just get so frustrated with them. Well, one thing I have noticed in the past is that if you are having negative thoughts about somebody and you're not getting along with them, if you deliberately choose to do something kind for them anyway, that can totally change your perspective. And I think it was Wally on the Wally show that says that oftentimes we're praying and praying and praying that God will change somebody. When what we really should be, what we really should be praying is that God will change us. And if he changes us through the experience, then a lot of times he uses the change in us to then change the work a change in somebody else because we were willing to humble ourselves and change. Then they see that and they respond to it. Yeah. Well, the incident I was thinking of when I mentioned that it was uh, a coworker of mine who some days we'd get along great and other days it'd just be bananas and it frustrated me because I could never figure out how to, you know, act with that person. But, you know, it's hard sometimes. Like, 
you know, when it says love your enemies, you know, and serve them, I've had roommates that were, you know, I don't want to say they are terrible people, but they were not, you know, followers of Christ. And, you know, I, one particular roommate was disabled. So, you know, I'd bring to get groceries and he, you know, he always was, you know, give me, give me, give me, give me. And then, you know, after a year when the lease comes up, I had to leave because I was just, otherwise I'd be totally burned out and destroyed. Yeah. You don't, um, that's why the Bible says in, encourage one another and build each other up because we can, we can easily tear people down and it's hard to rebuild. Like I, I says a, a brother offended in the Proverbs is a brother offended is harder to be one than a walled city. Yep. So you think about a walled city, you're coming into a walled city and you're trying to figure out how to, to go up against this enemy in a walled city. That's what it's like when you offend a brother and you try to make it right. That's why the toothpaste example is always given for words that come out of your mouth. Like yep. if you squeeze all the toothpaste out of out of the tube into the sink or whatever, you're not going to get the toothpaste back into the tube. And nope. even if you somehow were going to get some of the toothpaste back in, it would never look the same. It would it wouldn't be that smooth bottle that you just opened to brush your teeth. It would it would ha- still have bumps in it, you yep. know. So. That's why they say words scar worse than any sword. Absolutely. Perhaps that's why they say the pen is mightier than the sword. But upon it is better to give than to receive. I have shewed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20, verse 35. I've always been fascinated by this verse because Paul is reminding the church of something that Jesus said that we don't see recorded anywhere else in the scriptures. We see the idea recorded because he talks about giving to others. He talks about lending to people, not expecting anything in return. But when you turn to this verse, you see that he is directly quoting Jesus, but for some reason it didn't get written down until Paul writes it down in Acts 20, 35. Um, and it's kind of interesting too, because it, it's a, it's a Didn't Peter write Acts. It's a no, it was, well, it was written by Luke about Paul and, and his journeys. Oh, for but, some reason I always thought it was written by Peter. <laughs> no, it was, it was actually a, a, it's actually kind of a direct sequel to the book of Luke because he wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. And actually, if you if you look at it, at least by English word count, you'll find that um, Luke and Acts is a bigger portion of the New Testament than all of Paul's epistles put together because Paul's epistles were all pretty short. Yeah, well, they're letters. So yeah. <laughs> you can't write a large book when you're trying to pass it to somebody, you know, yeah, three thousand miles Although away. Although somehow they pass the 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 gospels along too, but I'll been, I'll have so many questions for the writers of the Bible when I, I know, get right? So that'll be one of the interesting ones. How did you how did you distribute your books, Luke? Because they were pretty long. <laughs> I know. So um, all right. So that, but it's interesting because. This axiom of it's it's better to give than to receive is one of those Bible verses that's been 
adopted by popular culture. And then when you're doing study, you're like, oh, that's in the Bible. I knew it was a good thing, but I didn't realize it was in the Bible. And that's why when people try to dis- dispute the Judeo-Christian roots of our whole society and they say <laughs> it was never Christian. They never intended to build on the Bible. Oh, wow. It's just, so la- it's just laughable because you can tell if you do any sort of serious study, whether you want to believe it or not, uh, it's it's built on a, on a biblical foundation. Well, if you really want to shut someone up about that, show them like the first uh, – Five years of Supreme Court rulings were specifically, you know, usually goes back to the Bible. It usually their, quoted a, a Bible passage. Yeah, for their decisions of the cases. Like there was um, one of the first cases was some guy in I think it was in Massachusetts. If I'm not if I'm not remembering correctly, or he uh, took the name of the Lord in vain and got fined. $300 or something like that and put in jail for three days. And he got really angry and he countersued. And then the Supreme Court says, nope, they were right. You're wrong. We've come so far from that. But anyway, and not in a good direction. Uh, I hope that this has been an encouragement to you, this discussion about the question that Jesus asked. And I hope that you have uh, the opportunity to think about this and to apply it and to serve others in a special way as we continue through 2020. That's all I have for today. I will just encourage you to keep serving the best of masters and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.